Really, Anthony? It's Dallas week, Craig. I thought there were rules. Did we play this song when they won? Oh, yeah. I think we've lost seven straight, so we're yeah. winning off the field. No, we're not going back to that again. <laughs> that is not how we are starting 2024. Oh, my God. It's really 2024. Wasn't that a year in the Jetsons? Anyway, God, I'm old. Anyway, what's up? Welcome to the show on a Misery Tuesday. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. New year, same shenanigans, same host. That's me, same producer. That's him. Same way we start the show on a misery Tuesday, in this particular case, the day that we have a show after the Commander's game, and that is with 10 observations from it, including one season-long big one to get us started. It's time to get the breakdown started. One, two, three, three. First up, 10 observations. It's first and 10. All right, number one. Number one. I'm going to make a declarative statement that I have been resisting making all year, uh, whether it was going to be this or something that was contrary to this. It is a definitive statement about Sam Howell's future. And then I'm going to spend the next couple of minutes explaining why I'm very comfortable making it at this point. I think that we have enough data to say that Sam Howell is not an option A for this team in 2024. So let's, let's rewind that. He's not an immediate option A in 2024, a.k.a. you cannot go into this offseason going, Sam Howell is our starter, we're set at quarterback. And there was a point this season that I thought we were very much on that path, and I was very excited about it, as were so many of you. However, I think what we've got now, or not I think, what we have now is a season's worth of data, essentially. We have 16 games this season. We also happen to have one from last season. So we have 17 starts from Sam Howell. And what I would tell you is that in my opinion, he is a very high-end backup. And that's not bad for a guy who went in the fifth round. And that's a phrase that I might utter a couple more times over the next 10 minutes or so. But ultimately, he fits the definition of that. His play fluctuates dramatically with the opponent. When he has faced bad defenses, he has lit them up. He can throw for 330. He can throw for three or four touchdowns. He can make big-time throws. He can do a lot of excellent stuff. Sam Howell is very talented, and he has shown a lot this year. The slot fade that he throws to Terry McLaurin on Sunday is great, but it's a throw that a lot of NFL quarterbacks make. And the more the season has gone, the less he has made the kinds of throws that, you know, hey, that's really special. Um, but we all, we've seen it. We know it's in there. The problem is, earlier in the season, it was like, hey, if he can clean up X, Y, and Z and keep doing this great stuff, he's going to be the guy. And he has not cleaned up the other stuff. Um, I would say the good news based off of Sunday, though, is that he's not cooked. Like, there was a, a real fear that those three games that he had prior to Miami, Dallas, uh, etc. Those games were like tragically bad. That if that's who he all of a sudden was, that you know you can't even trust him to be your backup. Like you just, if he ever plays again, he's he's not there. Like did they ruin him, Derek or David Carr style, Patrick Ramsey style? And the answer is no. Sam looked like Sam again on Sunday. He had a resilience to him. He had a confidence. Um, there was his version of timing. I would call it. The problem is that player is not one that is a high-end starter in the NFL. 
Um, and so if you go into next season with him as your plan at starting quarterback, you're looking at a middle-of-the-road season if things go well or possibly another six-win type of year. Probably not a four-win year. Um, you'd have to have a lot of stuff go wrong to have a four-win year. Um, see what has happened this year. Um, you're really bad coaching, really bad lot of stuff. Um, some bad luck along the way, all, you know, league's worst defense, all that. And, you know, just not having, having the league's 20th best defense this year in your six win team instead of a four win team. Um, but all in all, I am ready to say definitively Sam Howell should not be option a going into next season. So that leads to the why of that, which I will count as number two in this first and 10 number two. The evaluation process is this earlier in the season, you're looking for a trajectory. And a lot of that is going to be defined by big time throws and the consistency with which he makes them or, or any player makes big plays, right? You see super high end stuff and you go, Whoa, okay. Can't coach that. That's spectacular. This guy could be something. And then you look, how often does that stuff happen? And early in the season, there was some consistency to some of those big time plays. He led the league in big time throws by PFF's metric until I think it was week 12. And then you go, okay, what about the rest of the stuff? How does he need to round out his game? And the stuff that he needed to round out, he needed to bring the sack pressure or the sack uh, or the pressure to sack ratio down. He needed to get better at moving in the pocket. He needed to get better at reading the middle of the field. His footwork needed to get way cleaned up. And you'd see spurts of it. But you kind of assume that stuff is going to get better with time. And unfortunately, the reality is it didn't. And I think that's why earlier in the year, you see a lot of us going, Sam's probably going to be the guy. If I had to bet now, I would probably, I, I know in this segment, there was a point um, that I was like, if I had to bet right now, I would bet on him being the guy for next year and moving forward. And he just didn't improve from there. And that's why. I always reserved the right to change my mind. And it wasn't even changing my mind. I always said, this is an ongoing evaluation. We don't know what we don't know. We have to keep watching. We have to keep evaluating. We, this is not done yet. You don't make a decision before you have to. And a lot of people didn't want to hear it. A lot of people wanted, wanted to answer now. They wanted to crown Sam, or if they didn't think Sam was any good, say he's a bust. And we, the truth is we just didn't know. And so patience is a virtue. Patience is something that a lot of folks don't have. Uh, we live in a very microwave society, et cetera, et cetera. I don't need to go on a big, long old man diatribe about that. Just, just the reality is, you know, you don't need to self-impose a deadline. And in week eight and week seven, when Sam was playing better, you didn't need to, to say he's the guy right now because you didn't know how the next nine games or whatever were going to go. And now we do. And what we see is a backup caliber player. Um, now, that leads to, I think, the final point I'd like to make on Sam to kind of close out this opening segment, number three. Number three. Long term, I would put Sam in what I think is a pretty damn good bucket for him. So I know it's not what we wanted. What we wanted was the Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott bucket of late Russell Wilson, late round picks that have turned into really good, or in Wilson's case, I know it obviously things have soured at the end, but like Russell Wilson's going to go to the Hall of Fame. 
that if you if you could have done been in that bucket, you're in great shape. But even then, if you're in the Cousins Prescott bucket, guys that have won double digit games, got taken their teams to the playoffs, sure, they've left some desire to be in the playoffs, but like just getting there would be nice and, and feeling like you have a legit shot every single year, in part because of who your quarterback is, not in spite of it, as a late round pick, that would be an incredible bucket to be in. I don't think Sam's in that bucket. I think Sam's in this bucket. It's the bucket that includes Geno Smith. That includes Baker Mayfield. That includes a guy like Jameis Winston. And uh, another name I'm going to throw in there is like a wild card type of name is Nick Foles. Now, it's worth pointing out. Smith, Foles, second rounders, uh, if I'm remembering correctly on Foles. Mayfield, Winston, not just first rounders. Those guys were 1-1 overall. If it's a fifth round pick, you get into that bucket. That ain't that ain't a bad place to be. But what those guys are, are guys who are in the right system with the right coaches and the right supporting cast, along with the right defense on the other side, could win you 11 games if you get have a good year. Like you, you everyone stays healthy and, and everything is right around them. That's not a bad place to be. And maybe they could even win you a playoff game. I mean, the reason I picked Foles in there is because, shoot, if he gets hot at the right time, a.k.a. January or February, Nick Foles won a bleep in Super Bowl. But I think part of the reason Nick Foles wins a Super Bowl is because he is the backup. They don't win that year if Nick Foles is playing the whole year and the whole league has tape on him in that offense and all that kind of stuff. No, like Nick Foles benefited from only, only having to do it for four games. Jameis Winston, you know, plays over the course of a season, 30 touchdowns, 30 picks. Like that's kind of what Sam's doing this year. Not quite that extreme. Uh, and no one's ever done it as extreme as Jameis. He's the only 30-30 guy ever most of the time because if you throw that many picks, you never get a chance to throw 30 touchdowns. Um, but Sam is kind of that super high pick, super high touchdown guy. He's accounted for 25, I think, total touchdowns, 20 through the air, five on the ground. Um, and realistically, I think that's who he's going to be. And I think what's happening right now is if you want to look at a long-term prognosis for Sam – and just through the, the lens of him, not through the lens of, of Washington, which we'll obviously get to. And we'll take some calls later this hour on what Washington should do, not next year, but next week. Do you let him start this final game? Do you start Jacoby Brissett? We can go through it here at 430. But realistically, what Mayfield's done and what Geno, I think, is is really done uh, more extreme because Baker kind of got chances along the way. Geno just had to sit. Gino had some success early, but mostly some struggles early, uh, obviously amplified by being a New York Jet and everything that goes with that. You then have years of sitting, sitting behind Russ, learning, seeing how it's done at a high level, being patient, being a good teammate, growing up in his case. Uh, I think there's a lot of maturation that happened for Gino specifically. I don't know that Sam has to do a lot of that. He seems like a very mature kid, but everyone has their things they need to learn personal or and or professional and then Gino comes out and he balls out to you know here later in his career Baker's having a resurgence in in Tampa could that be Sam in four years when he'd only be 27 because that's the other thing Sam is young he's only 23 he's younger than some of the guys who are going to be drafted this year and this will be going into year three that's important to remember he's got a lot of room to grow but as an organization you have to decide is that worth it for you? And also, you have the business side of he is going into year three of a four-year rookie contract. So if he all of a sudden does pan out on some level, how much do you want to pay him? 
And you get stuck in a Daniel Jones situation where you're not really that sure. And then you pay him a bunch of money. And then obviously it's gone terrible for New York because Jones got hurt. But he wasn't any good before he got hurt this year. So all in all, like Sam's not in a terrible place for the long term in his career. I think he can play. I think he's proven that. I don't think he can, he's proven that he can play consistently at a high level. And that is enough for you as an organization to continue searching for something else at quarterback. However, it also means next year, if the draft falls in a bad way or you don't like any of these quarterbacks, and now everyone, of course, wants everyone to, their team to take Michael Penix because they've watched one college football game all year, but you don't like any of these quarterbacks, that if you use Howell as a bridge guy, the bridge is the bridge is all right. But you are ultimately looking to find your C.J. Stroud, your Patrick Mahomes, your number one true guy. And I would be very surprised at this point if Sam Howell ever got to that based off of now a full season's worth of data to make that evaluation on. When we get back, we will talk about the rest of the game against the Niners, the other seven takeaways. It's first and 10 getting us started on the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always alive as well on the free Odyssey app. We start each show the day after a Commander's game, or in this case, two days after Happy New Year, with first and 10. We spent the first three of our 10 observations talking about Sam Howell, so let's get to four through 10 quickly. And then we'll take some of your calls coming up at 430 uh, Ron Rivera declined to name a starting quarterback today for week 18 against the Cowboys. Who do you think should start? We'll talk through it and take your opinions at 301-230-0980 coming up in about 10 minutes. But, Anthony, let's hit him with number four. So do people believe me when I tell you the run game is good now? It was funny watching Twitter on Sunday and being like, oh, hey, they run the ball. This is cool. Um, until that final carry that Ron inexplicably gave uh, <laughs> Robinson uh, for two yards at the end of the game. Let's use all our timeouts in a game that we're down double digits and then come out and run the ball with the first play. What are we doing? A lack of organizational cohesiveness, a defining aspect of the Ron Rivera era. Anyway, point is, until that, the running backs were open, averaging over five yards a carry. Still, they averaged in the 4-8, range for the game. They just have good backs, like straight up. One, this offensive line is built to run versus pass protect, which is hilarious because they pass the ball more than anyone else in the league. And two, Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson are very good football players. And again, I will never, ever understand why they did not give them the ball more this year in the easiest way possible, which is handing it to them. Number five. Number five. Is the other side of that uh, on the defense. Man, the commander's run defense was bad. Um... The Commanders did not have a single defensive player grade above 65. Or, or sorry, they had one defensive player grade above 65 on PFF. One. That was it. One. I think it was Quan. Um, and he was like 65.1. Nobody above a 66. Brutal. And the biggest reason why is because like when it came to running the ball, the Niners got whatever they wanted. McCaffrey, um, all their other backs down the list. Like Debo, um, they they all were able to get big chunks with consistency, and it just doesn't make sense on a defense that has John Allen and Deron Payne in the middle. Um, 
their pass defense has gotten a lot better since Ron has taken over, but they cannot stop the run. And I don't know whether it's a fit, a run fit issue, a guys just not playing well issue. Um, I don't know. And apparently neither do they. Um, the Niners are the best running team in the league, like bar none. They just scheme it up. They execute it better than everyone else. But still, whew, yikes. Number six. Emmanuel Forbes looks like a rookie in around his like fifth, sixth, seventh game. And I just will never understand, speaking of things I'll never understand, why he didn't get more playing time this season. Because you look at some of the things that happened to him on Sunday, you know, from tracking Ayuk on the on the scramble drill touchdown, where Purdy makes a heck of a play, to the, the ball that he drops right over Forbes' uh, outstretched arm. There's another play where he gets his hand on one and it kind of goes through his hand and Ayuk catches it anyway. But there's just a bunch of plays on Sunday that if you thought that Forbes or if Forbes had more experience, I should say, you'd think that his timing and kind of his technique would be a little bit better, a little bit cleaner because he'd be used to the speed. And maybe he makes a play or two versus or doesn't get lose Ayuk in the end zone and experience matters. And uh, well, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that the first round pick didn't get the chance to get experience. Meanwhile, Number seven, Quan Martin may be their best defensive player the last couple of weeks, and they let him play through mistakes and they let him grow into his role this season. And there were times where it was really, really bad, but they just kept putting him out there and coaching him up. And Quan has developed into a really, really solid football player that I think has the potential to keep growing into a like not just a solid young player, but like a good NFL player which is what you want from a second-round pick, something the Commanders haven't gotten out of a second-round pick in a long time, maybe since Preston Smith, um, who I was reminded is still good uh, this weekend as I got the chance to watch the Packers and Vikings on Sunday night. You're like, oh, yeah, he used to be here. They let him go, and um, now he's still sacking quarterbacks. Cool, cool, cool. If only this team needed an edge rusher. Anyway, the point is that Quan got to play through stuff and the experience has helped him grow. Meanwhile, Forbes did not get that chance and he looks like a guy who could use some experience. Again, don't get it. Don't get it at all. Number eight. Which brings me to something I've been thinking about, something I've been stirring on, something I'll flush out more in preparation of the big changes that we all know are coming next week, which is trying to like define if you word cloud, if you will, the Ron Rivera era here in D.C. And one word that keeps coming to mind for me is favoritism. And the reason I go favoritism is it just feels like there are some guys who get good quality, what you'd want treatment and other guys who get the raw end of the stick. And it doesn't seem to have a rhyme or reason as to who gets screwed and who gets opportunity. And sometimes the guys who get opportunity probably should get less opportunity like who is he loyal to and who is he not from coaches to players to whatever like I just I there's no consistency to it and I think that's something you feel and so you know we'll talk about the culture change and whether or not it was real and are they better are they worse uh, and, and try to make sense all of that more so next week when it's over let's see what happens in this final week of the season 
but and not that it, much is going to change. It's just you know we got more pressing stuff to talk about while there's still a game to go. But I think for me, when I think of some of the defining elements uh, and defining words, defining characteristics of the Ron Rivera era, one is favoritism, and I don't get why Quan Martin is one of the favorites and why Emmanuel Forbes is not. They should both be treated very highly. They're top picks. Again, maybe I will say this. Maybe Ron at times has actually protected players by not outing bad behavior and not necessarily like bad, bad behavior, like they're out doing whatever, like not being focused, not being locked in in meetings. And he doesn't want to out stuff that's happening inside the building. And if that's the case, okay. Like I can respect that. Um, but it, it certainly from the outside based off what we know doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I will, I will give the possibility of that happening uh, or that, that being a thing. Uh, I'll leave that open. Number nine, Sam Cosby's a freaking baller. Um, Sam Cosby, you know, we talk about this offensive line a lot. Uh, a lot of people think it's terrible. I would say it's painfully mediocre. Um, they have done some things very well. They've done other things terribly. Sometimes it's situational, yada, yada. Through it all, especially since like middle of the season, Sam Cosby has been incredible. He was the highest rated player on PFF again on Sunday. And PFF has him as one of the highest rated players in the league, if not the highest rated offensive lineman, I think I read, or maybe even highest rated player since like week 13. He has been awesome. He murders people in the run game. He's allowed zero sacks since week 13. And for an offense that struggles uh, with a lot of stuff, um, he has just been a rock, and that's great because, you know, we talk about second-round picks. That's the one that's working out, not a position they thought. Um, but there's that. Uh, there's that success story, I guess, which leads me to the final thing. Number 10. Andrew Wiley, contract-wise, makes sense to bring back. I don't know that he makes sense at right tackle. So if you can bring in a free agent right tackle that you feel really good about and address left tackle in the draft – that second pick or third pick or whatever it winds up being or second round, whatever, whatever it winds up being, but you can address left tackle in the draft or even if Leno is back, you could have a good offensive line next year. If Ricky Stromberg works out and Andrew Wiley shifts into guard and plays guard at the level that I think most people think he's capable of and that he's played out at the past. Like if your offensive line is free agent, right tackle, who's good. Cosme, you're stud on the right side. Stromberg, uh, would would as your third round pick in his second year at center like he can succeed, uh, and then your left guard would be Wiley, and then left tackle either Leno or or hopefully an upgrade. Um, and again, Leno's like a middle of the pack tackle. So if you can upgrade, that means you're getting a top half good left tackle. Um, that offensive line's pretty darn good, and you should be able to to have a much different offense uh, and success rate on offense thanks to the line next season. Just a thought. Just a thought. Uh, so that is first and 10, 10 takeaways, 10 thoughts after watching the game on Sunday. Uh, I guess technically we'll do one more. Uh, I don't know how much purpose it will have, but we will do one more uh, next week. And then during the playoffs, we also do playoff version first and 10. So we got first and 10 for you on Mondays, or in this case, Tuesday, all the way through the Super Bowl. When we get back here on the Hoffman Show, we will take your calls 301 230 That's 301-230-0980. The Ace Law Listener Line talking about whether or not Sam Howell or Jacoby Brissett should start next week. I guess whether Sam Howell or Jacoby Brissett should be the starter next week. Your calls are takes as well. 
next here on the Team 980 and streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Taking your phone calls on the Ace Law listener line, 301-230-0980. 301-230-0980. I guess it's kind of a vibe check Tuesday, but it's really a who do you want your starting quarterback to be Tuesday. Um, Jacoby Brissett obviously was going to be the starter last week until – his hamstring said, uh, not so fast, my friend, uh, Lee Corso style. And we see Sam Howell come back and bounce back to play better than he had been, but still not very good. For whatever it's worth, PFF graded him out as a 35. So that is one of his worst grades of the season. Um, it, it's just, it's not good. Um, what, what Sam Howell, uh, did on Sunday, even if there was some good dispersed within it. And so to me, like Sam played at a level that, leaves you with the question of who do you play on Sunday? Um, because I do think that there are arguments to be made both ways, um, Brissett or Hal. So uh, let's take some calls, 301-230-0980, and let's start with Henry. Henry, thanks for calling. You are on the Hoffman Show. Hey, Happy New Year's, Hoffman. How you doing, everybody? I'm good. Happy New Year to to you as well, Henry. Hey, my thing is this. What goes around, come around. When Howell came in, he was the third-string quarterback or whatever to say at that time. I mm-hmm. think Jake Brum should be the starting quarterback. He's Why? strong, he's tall, he's young. No, he's Why not. not? Howell had his chance when he came in. It's not about giving season. guys chances. This is the NFL. Yeah, he's in the NFL, isn't he? Kind he's of. third-string quarterback, isn't he? He's been on the practice squad all chance? year. Because he's not that good. Why not? How do you know that? We ain't seen him play. Yeah, we have. We've seen him in the preseason. We've seen him in training camp. Like, we, we, no, no. That was, look look how long ago that was. Okay. Let's play play your game. Henry, hold hold on. Let's play your game. I want you to tell me all the starting quarterbacks in NFL history that have been awesome after they were a third string quarterback who, like, was on the practice squad most of their career. For For the commanders? For anybody. Third third uh, string to uh, awesome starter. I can't you see why your idea is stupid? My head right now. Yeah, because but it doesn't exist. Get a bad chance. The end of the season, we've seen all we can Hold see. Hold on, Henry, 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 Henry. Go back to your answer. Go back to your answer. How many guys have done it in the history of the entire league? Two. Who? Two. Who, who have, no, this isn't a trivia question. This is the part where you tell me who the guys are that have gone from third string practice squad quarterback to being good starters that are worth playing. I'm going to throw one out. I'm going to throw one out there. Brady. Brady, what, Brady was a third stringer for like one season and he was a rookie and then he got the chance to play and yeah, he was awesome. But like, this isn't like also Tom Brady's, uh, Pedigree was way better than Jake Fromm's. Fromm's an undrafted guy. At least Brady was drafted. It's the end of the season. We ain't got nothing else to play for. Why not? Because okay, Henry. Henry, Thanks for your call. I'm going to explain to you why not, but I'm not going to do it while we're while you're yelling at me. Um, And Henry wasn't yelling at me. I just that's how those things tend to go. And this is going to be better radio. I promise. I'm not trying to be rude. 
here's the deal. Here's the answer to Henry's question, because you do have things to play for. You are either evaluating Sam or you're evaluating everybody else. This isn't about being nice to people. If anybody deserves to be nice, have someone be nice to them, it's Jacoby. Jacoby was brought here under the impression that he was going to get a fair chance to compete, and he really didn't. Now, I think it's the competition was close enough in the preseason. We don't need to do revisionist history that Sam outright won the job based off of his potential compared to what Jacoby's was as a guy who's in his 30s. But Jacoby was a good soldier. Jacoby's been the best asset Sam arguably has in the building. He's been incredible as a teammate. And if you want to give someone an opportunity, you do, you, you do that for Jacoby. And the other upside of doing that for Jacoby is you get to evaluate other players. If you get Jake Fromm out there, it's going to be it, like he's just going to get sacked a bunch. He's going to throw bad balls. Jake Fromm's not – Jake Fromm is better at quarterback than, you know, arguably I will beat anything in my life compared to the entire population of the earth. I don't know. I am an afternoon drive in Washington, D.C. It's not a bad gig we're going here. I'm all right at this. But, like, Jake Fromm is an NFL – a borderline NFL quarterback. He's one of the top 60 quarterbacks on the planet, which is awesome. Like, good for Jake Fromm. He's going to get paid very well for it. And he's probably a great guy to have in meeting rooms. And who knows? Maybe in one game, he could he could do some stuff. But now's not the time to experiment for Jake Fromm. For what? He's not your starter next year. He's not anything for you next year, unless he's right back where he is as your third-string backup behind Sam Howell and whoever you draft. So, no, that's not a good idea. Long story short. Uh, let's go with uh, Cliff. Cliff, thanks for calling. You're on the Hoffman Show. Hey, Happy New Year, Greg. Happy um, New Year, Cliff. The quarterback I would go with who who made this ship sink all year long is the captain himself, Sam Howe, because I don't want to lose that possible number two pick. <laughs> and whoever we draft, Howe could be the backup since Brissett's more likely out of here doing free agency. And I'll sit back and listen. All right, Cliff, thanks for the call. I don't, I don't disagree with that philosophy. Now, look, does Ron care about the draft pick? No. And do I think Jacoby is going to beat Dallas? Probably not. Does Jacoby have a better chance to beat Dallas? Probably. Probably, if we're, if we're being totally honest. The best chance to win the game is with Jacoby Brissett, likely, on Sunday. And I do think there is something to just saying, like, hey, let's give Hal one more game of experience. As an organization, we're probably going in a different direction. and But we do know that he's here for the next couple of years, likely. Or maybe if he puts something out there and plays well, can will someone trade for him this offseason? Again, unlikely, but you never know. Crazier things have happened. Um, so I, I think at the end of the day, like if you want to say, hey, Sam's done done the work all year. Sam was a good soldier last week, handled the benching really well, came back, did a professional job on Sunday. You were in the game. uh, Actually played a pretty good first half or a pretty solid first half. I don't know if good is too strong, but a solid first half. Like, I'm fine with starting Sam. Just, again, what's the point of starting Jacoby? And on some level, if I'm Jacoby, I'm like, you know what? I got five real drives and five touchdowns, and I'm about to be a free agent. I'm good. Let the kid play. I pulled a Taylor Heineke last year. Me and my hamstring are not going to go into this offseason not healthy. People know what I am. That's good. But I also do think, like, if I'm Jacoby, I want to play because you don't get that many chances to play professional football. And I think there is something to starting Brissett because of that. Uh, Let's go to Larry, who I think has that point of view. Larry, uh, I I see that you would like to start Jacoby. Why is that? Well, I think he gives – hello? Yeah, we got you. 
Oh, okay, thank you. I think he gives them a better chance of winning, and I also think it's a good opportunity for Hal to sit back and observe, reset uh, another game, and to find out um, perhaps weak weaknesses in his game. I believe uh, Hal benefited from that from the last time he was benched. But I wanted to go back to a question, a point that you raised earlier about the third string coming off the bench and starting and leading a team and winning. Um, and the name that comes to mind is a former uh, – Hall of Famer, and that's Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner played uh, in sure. what is uh, arguably the USFL. Uh, yeah. Then was stocking groceries one year and went from being a third-string quarterback to starting quarterback. So it can happen. It can. Uh, it's, but, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's an anomaly for certain. For but sure. It, it can happen. No, and that's a great point. And that wasn't, you know, the, the point was, like, if you want to think of one, it, it ain't, it's not impossible, but it's, it's very rare. Brady kind of fits that mold as well. Um, but the thing is, like, those guys are extreme anomalies, and there's kind of weird mitigating circumstances around them. And the point I would just simply counterpoint with is, like, in general, NFL scouts are really good at what they do. NFL coaches are really good at what they do. And some guys are just gamers. Like, some guys get out there, and it works. And for, well, for, see, Kurt, I, for Kurt I Warner and... and I would beg to differ with that last point about people being really good at scouting personnel. Um, every year in the draft, there are people that just fall through the draft. They are not necessarily bust. Sure, it's but they're uh, better than anyone else on the planet who could try to do it. Well, they're they're they they do it eight hours a day. Uh, yes, seven that's days, the or, point. So five days a week, but but they do it way more than that. They're not infallible, and that's no, my they're, point. They're my point not. is that you know it's like baseball. Baseball is a perfect example of that. You know, it's a different sport, of course, maybe a different tool set, but. You know, uh, personnel evaluations and, okay. and, and whatnot. I'm going to cut off this call here because I'm not wasting our audience's time on Jake Fromm calls. If Jake Fromm goes on to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, I want the, the documentary makers to pull this clip. It is me. My name is Craig Hoffman, and I'm a gigantic boob who knows nothing about football. I think that clip is probably going to be safe for eternity. We're not wasting time with this. NFL scouts, in general, are very good at this. It is extremely difficult. But we're not going to get sidetracked because one time, uh, two decades ago, Kurt Warner, and another time before that, Tom Brady, turned out to be really good. Look at the league now. Who are your starters? Most of them are first-round picks. Maybe not 1-1 overall, but a lot of them are first-rounders. The point is, like, the, the, the people that do this for a living do it for a living because they know what they're doing. Jake Fromm is not a hidden gem. We're not spending time on that. And if it turns out that something weird happens and he plays in the future and he turns out to be awesome, then I'm the idiot. But we're not wasting time on it now on the first show of 2024. That's the end of that. We'll do the Brissette thing that is actually worth us talking about and our time next. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. Ron, do you know who your quarterback is going to be for Sunday? Um, we'll, uh, we don't have to let anybody know until tomorrow, so we're just going to wait. You could tell us now. No, I think you know we, we don't want to give them any head start on anything. 
Oh, that was a good try, Nikki Javala. Uh, it's Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. So Ron Rivera has declined to name a starter for Sunday. We'll take some more calls on it uh, today and then obviously tomorrow after we get one, 301-230-0980. The reason I think it, I, I am, I don't know, I'm pretty 50-50 between Howell and Brissett. Here's the argument for Brissett. Um, Brissett allows you to do the thing that you've been talking about doing with Sam Howell for weeks. Sam Howell, oh, we got to evaluate him. We got to evaluate him. We got to evaluate him. We got to see more tape. Okay. We've seen a lot. We have a good idea at this point of who he is. What about Jahan Dotson? What about your first rounder from last year who has not been on the same page with Sam Howell the entire year? Who in the five drives that Jacoby Brissett has played this season has come alive instantaneously has become a factor has shown separation that matters has gotten the ball has been in a position to succeed don't you want to see how he looks don't you want to see how your offensive linemen look a young Sadiq Charles or Chris Paul with a quarterback who's got a little bit more savvy a little bit more height as well uh, as an interior lineman like does it look better when Jacoby can see the middle of the field better than Sam can and gets the ball out uh, to some of the checkdowns and stuff faster. Do you want to see how Terry looks? Although Terry is just 54 yards shy of a thousand yard season as is, he has clearly come alive and been even better with Jacoby than he has been with Sam, despite what we saw on Sunday. This is why I, I might lean Brissett on top of the interpersonal factor of, I feel like Jacoby deserves it um, for how he's been this season and if he wants to go out and get a start, I would I would be like, yeah, man, like you, you've been great. We're going to reward you for being a great teammate. And by the way, it's better for everyone else. So as opposed to the antithesis of most of the year where there were sacrifices made because you're trying to develop a young quarterback because it's the best thing long term for your franchise. And you just hope that the minor that a it's a minor drop off from uh, your your young to your vet um, or your vet to your young guy. And that over the course of the season, that gap shortens. And then ultimately, your young guy is better than your vet, which is what you hoped and didn't happen. At this point, you just play the vet. Um, even if you don't have anything to play for win-loss-wise, it's better from an evaluation standpoint. I know the counterpoint, the number one counterpoint to that is if you lose, you probably get the number two overall pick. But at the end of the day, like... That's not something that Ron Rivera is probably considering, um, even if maybe he should be um, or maybe someone above him should be and should dictate that decision um, and just be like, hey, man, it's the last, last week of the season. We want to see Sam one more. Sorry, we're, we're not. You can't play Jacoby. Is what it is. If you don't like it, you can quit. So that's that's kind of where I sit. Uh, 301-230-0980. Let's go to Scott. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the Hoffman Show. Hey, Craig, how's it going? I'm good, Scott. How are oh. you? I'm good. So I got a couple key points here. I think we should all take, take into account. First, um, you mentioned something earlier about moving Wiley, possibly the left guard. I don't know why that hasn't been done this season. Cordelius Lucas at right tackle. And I would love for you and Logan to, like, this is a podcast I did, talk about players on this team that may have just not been not coached right, but also just out of position. Maybe Benjamin St. Juice is better at free safety or something like that. But that's a whole Yeah, I mean, thing. we, I, we I think definitely this year have talked about specifically for St. Juice. Like, 
I don't know. We don't really know why they took him out of the nickel. Like he was good there. Right. So yeah, no, that's, that's right. a good, we've, we've talked about it in spurts, but to put it in one, one pod could be an interesting one. So good idea. Thank you. We'll credit you on the show. I appreciate it. If it's not broke, don't try to fix it. Unless it's Ron Rivera. So, right. <laughs> um, also, oh, boy. with just the whole Brissett thing, I think that it helps the guy, like you said, the guys develop. You know, maybe Jahan continues to develop. He has some confidence going into the offseason and some of the other guys. But I think we cannot miss the opportunity of getting the number two overall pick if that's a possibility, not just from a quarterback standpoint, but a bargaining chip. If yeah. Josh Harris is really into analytics like he says he is, like we need that chip. And I would I would venture to say this, looking at like this draft, most of the, the quarterbacks in the league t- tend to have two elite traits. We need to look at that kind of formula because if you look at a lot of guys who kind of bust out, they might have like one elite trait that's like big time. But I think guys like a Jalen Daniels, Michael Penix, even in the second round, if you tell me I can get an elite tackle with my first pick, that's going to be a 10-year uh, guy. It's going to be the guy, the next Chris Samuels, Trent right. Williams, and so forth. And Michael Phoenix, who slides down because he goes to the combine and they freak out about his injury history, and we get him in the second round, I, don't, I, don't, I think that's a, a winning formula. I think that's something that we could actually go forward with. But I, I'm scared by these guys who have this one good trait because if something happens, they, you know, like, to me, Jaden Daniels has an elite trait like a Lamar Jackson, like, Guys who are six foot four, two hundred five pounds, or run a four four, they don't typically grow on trees and and have that throwing ability that he does. So right. I think this, the fans have to look from that venture, uh, that standpoint of roster building. One loss to our hated rival Dallas Cowboys could set us up for the next decade with a stalwart foundational player. Yeah, you know, no, I agree. That, that's a good investment. I agree. I appreciate the call a lot. Thanks, Scott. Um, I think that that is the thing that we're going to spend the next four months talking about is if you can get a Hall of Fame level or at least just a Pro Bowl level left tackle or wide receiver who could elevate your offense in the same way that Jamar Chase elevated the Bengals, is that worth it? And then you can get your quarterback in round two. Um, Because I think the other thing that we talk about this number two overall pick, that means they also have the number two pick in the second round. And the third and the fourth. I don't think they owe any picks um, off the top of my head. That might not be true, but um, they have Chicago's pick, which is dropping because Chicago uh, is has been playing well, which I think is actually a good thing because I would I'd rather have the pick slide down a little bit in the second round and not have to compete with the Bears for a head coach in Matt Eberflus um, if Matt Eberflus stays, which is now looking like it's going to be the case. Um, like I would I would rather have that scenario. But I think it's important to remember, like, let's say even if they take a quarterback at two and let's say Penix drops the second round and you can get, you know, a team that's seventh in the second round uh, to trade up and give you another third rounder like that could be or if they've got two seconds, can they trade up their late second and their early second for your top of the second round second? And now they get to take their quarterback that you've already taken and you get a left tackle or there is a ton of X receivers in this draft, which is something that I think this team should definitely look at and slide Terry to the Z, get him off the ball a little bit and let him do some things. I think his skill set's better suited for like, there's, there's a lot of 
machinations. The good news is they've got a lot of good options. The bad news is you don't know which one's the best option. And we'll obviously have a better idea as we get through the draft process. Uh, but you won't know for sure until five years from now when you have the ability to look back and see how everybody played. Uh, we will talk about this more next with Michael Phillips of the uh, of 910 The Fan and the Washington Times. Uh, we will talk to Phillips, and then we will go around the NFL at 530. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app.